Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of What's Happening in Travel. Uh, this is episode number 61 and um, I guess we're recording it on, on uh, Saturday, January 9th and uh, we're a little bit behind but we should uh, catch up yeah, yeah. this week by next week. Definitely will be able to uh, to catch up. But at least we have two episodes, so we can load those two episodes yeah. up, two new episodes. And these are really late December topics, yeah, rather than early January. But some of them are fairly recent. Yeah, yeah. So for the next episode, oh. we're just going to jump ahead, and we're just going to pick up news that's happening. Yeah, um, uh, I guess current. We've haven't missed a few a uh, week or two, but it's not too bad. Um, aviation is industry is a little slow. Um, these days anyway, although every day something weird happens. Um, so what's the background you have, Koshiro? What you got there? I have an Air Tahiti Nui 789 landing somewhere or the other. <laughs> somewhere or the other, that's funny, Koshiro. Uh, you know what's interesting with these uh, is that um, I'm still amazed that those 789s fly across the Pacific every day, right? Mm-hmm. That is absolutely phenomenal. Yep. Now, this is the one that used to stop in, is it still, is it stopping in Canada Vancouver. now? Yeah. It says doing Vancouver on its way to the U.S. Because yeah. we still haven't opened up. No, on its way to Tahiti and France. Paris. Well, right. Well, yeah. I mean, okay. So we still, it's still bypassing the U.S. Los Angeles. Right. That's correct. Wow. Bizarre. But United is flying them to Sydney, right? From the West Coast. Um, is your is our airline still flying to Sydney, or did they stop mm-hmm. that? No, but um, a lot of them are cargo, and you're limited to like twenty passengers or something like that. Uh, so Last all, I knew, so it's basically all cargo. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So yeah, one of the things. One of the things. That, bread and butter, right now. Yeah. Seven eight seven. Hopefully they'll get their act together and, <laughs> and stop having issues. And um, the photo I have today is Berlin. Um, it's, it's a different part of Berlin. Um, I can't even tell you exactly where it is now, but it's, uh, it's along the River Spree. So if you, I think it's, I think it's Spree, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if, you ever, if you ever take one of those um, uh, boats that give you a river tour of Berlin, it doesn't go down down here, but it goes very close to here. And it's just a different, just a different part of the city that I was walking through one day. I'm like, oh, that'll make a really great photo. Um, all right, so that's my little Berlin thing. We're always trying to bring you some you know, different, I guess different, uh, different parts of the world or airplanes um, as we go along. All right, let's jump right in uh, today. The first news, we're going to talk about aircraft uh, today. And um, speaking of Boeing, um, what is going on with the 777X program? This was an article, and I really wanted to include this because it was a very well-written article in Aviation Week. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a little disappointed to read it because it is the truth. And... Um, <laughs> I, well, it is reality, yeah. but I hate to see it being um, having such an impact on the 777X, which is the, the up, 
upgraded and updated and thoroughly modern 777 um, uh, aircraft. Hmm. There were supposed to be two variants, um, the 777-9, uh, which is the only one currently in production, and the 777-8, which is the smaller version <clears throat> and the longer range version, which currently has its development frozen. Uh, these programs were launched in 2013, and this was really an editorial, as I said. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, it didn't uh, project a very rosy outlook for this aircraft um, on any very large, the VLA, as they call them, the very large aircraft, because they no longer are viewed as a means for airlines to cut their unit costs. Rather, it's viewed as a significant exposure to risk, right? which is a long way from what was prior thinking, because they have about um, 350 of these 777X aircraft on order, of which 240, I believe, are from the Middle East three, which oh. are Emirates, Qatar, and Etihad. Mm -hmm. Emirates, of course, is um, really cutting back on their VLA um, capacity, and they're tending to gravitate more towards the 350, the Airbus 350, Boeing 787 capacity um, <clears throat> type. Nevertheless, they haven't really significantly cut back on their 777X orders, but now oh. their first delivery is pushed to... 2023. Um, Etihad hasn't really announced plans to cancel this order, but they are now well established in going on record as saying they no longer wish to be a competitor, a severe, a very strong um, competitor to, let's say, Emirates and Qatar in the mm. Middle East. Um, and then BA and Lufthansa, which are the other um, to other carriers, including Cathay Pacific, which are not exactly having rosy times these days, as no real air, no airline is. Right. So um, there's also an issue with the fact that so many airlines have grounded and or stored relatively young triple seven aircraft. So. Um, the availability of these planes are, is quite cheap right now. And given that Boeing really has no competitor to the 350, the 1000, which is Airbus's largest product, uh, the 787-10 just doesn't match the capacity and the range. And uh, the legacy 777 um, aircraft just has very unfavorable economics compared to the Airbus 350. So Boeing is really caught in a sort of a difficult situation currently. They do anticipate that demand will rebound, but it's not likely to be in the very near future. In fact, they estimate that this is going to be at least three, four, five, six years and beyond, which I think is a real shame because I, this aircraft is a 777X is even more remarkable than the 777. Right. Not to say the 380 
wasn't. But this sort of trend towards smaller planes essentially killed the 380. And I don't think it's going to impact the 777X because most of the development money has already been spent. Right, so the right. expense in getting this type certified is going to be marginal at best. But I'm not sure about the Dash 8, which really hasn't even started production yet. So it's kind of that bizarre. could become a casualty. Yeah. But I can also see this aircraft being a good cargo carrier to replace the uh, 747s that will ultimately need to be replaced. But well, wouldn't the 777F replace those? It doesn't match the capacity of uh, uh, a 747, right? Really? Yes, they're doing the, no, the 777F, absolutely not. Oh, wow. Okay. 200, the 200 LR, right? Yeah. Because the 300 ER freighter conversion is still a few years off. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it doesn't come match the 748. Uh, nothing, so, is a match, nothing is a match for the, for the 747s, right? Right. Because they remember they have the ability to load this outsized cargo uh, through the nose. Yeah. But none of the next generation really will be able to. Yeah, so, that's interesting. But no, this, I thought this was a very interesting article, as I said, in Aviation Week, and I just wanted to bring it up. Yeah, no, that's, so, that's, that's pretty good. Um, because, um, sorry, one more thing. The combined 777-77X production rate is slowing from five per month currently to two a month in 2021. And the Airbus 350 has gone from 10 to five with the 330neo from two to one a month. And they're saying even that is too high. So it really is looking rather grim for wide body production. Okay. But um, airlines really cannot do without wide bodies and their range, despite the uh, success of the 321 LR and XLR from Airbus. Okay. So it's just a matter of time before the industry rebounds. Yeah, as I was saying, because you, you know what I see happening is um, they're going to end up going to the desert and pulling these planes because yeah. when people start flying again, um, yeah. Yep. They're just, they're just going to have to go grab the plane that you parked. So um, yeah. maybe we'll see an A3, the A380s come back. <laughs> I think that ship has sailed. Uh, you think so? <laughs> or is it that ship has flown, Kasha? Come on. <laughs> you know, Emirates is probably one of the last carriers. And they still have a ton of them, so... Yes, they're and they're updating them. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think we will still see them in the air for several years. Yeah, amazing. Uh, all right, so more Boeing news. And um, what, are, what's the, what, what are they doing with the Max again? This, I thought... Um, again, was a, a pretty good move by Boeing. This was reported in Reuters, mm -hmm. is that um, they have what are called global engagement pilots. And what Boeing has done is they are currently looking to hire uh, 160 pilots to be, as they say, embedded at airlines around the world that operate the 737 MAX 
in a new bid to ensure that Max aircraft have a smooth comeback after a 20 month grounding. So these people who will earn an annualized salary of about 200,000 US dollars um, will be on assignment at these individual carriers around the world for an average, as they expect, of about 35 days. They will act as instructors and or cockpit observers as these airlines reintroduce this aircraft back into service. Now, I think this would have been a great idea at the onset of the MAX um, into service mm -hmm. because it would have eliminated all these issues of pilots not knowing that they had this troublesome MCAS system that was going to override them. But um, regardless, uh, Boeing has taken steps to um, fix its problems. And uh, they've also established... Um, specialized teams with about 150 members uh, supporting five global regions to produce documents for MAX operators to show and uh, reassure their passengers about the safety of the, uh, this new plane. Uh, they've, I didn't re realize Boeing had this facility, but they're also going to, to um, monitor the uh, flight patterns of every 737 MAX in the world 24-7 with a new facility in Seal Beach in California, which is, I think, near Los Angeles. Um, and talking points, as I said, for flight attendants to reassure passengers on um, all these 737 MAX aircraft around the world. So I think they finally decided how important this is to them. And mm -hmm. I'm glad they're doing this. Um, yeah, so, but, I, but it's like, people don't really care, Kusha. <laughs> no, I think airlines do. And Boeing cannot afford to take any chance. Yeah, but, but the passengers don't really care. I mean, they, well, they just, you they just want to get that. a cheap fare. They really just yeah. want to get a they don't Agreed. know which Agreed. planes they're on. They have Agreed. no idea. And the media doesn't help either. Um, of course not. Of course not. Because um, so, you know, we're, we're talking about the Indonesia 737 that's disappeared. And, um, you know, they were calling it the wrong plane. Well, not calling it, but they were referring to it and including conversations about the MAX. Yeah. Too. So most reporters don't, don't have a clue. Right, they have no clue. So you're trying oh. to educate someone on what a 737 MAX is. Okay, so why wouldn't you educate them on what a 787 is, or what a 777 is, or what an Airbus is? Because it doesn't is. have such a controversial background. But nobody really cares. People well, are not booking away maybe from the so. 737 maybe so. they know. But no, I think Boeing is doing the right thing. Maybe it, it's an mm. overkill but it's better that way after all the negligence that I, resulted in this. If you debacle. want to do something, give the money to the families. That's what you want to do with the money. But they are doing that already, right? Uh, in yeah, fact, we're I, going to talk about this next week, about this huge fine that Boeing has had to pay. Um, yeah, I just think it's stupid. The whole marketing thing of trying to tell... Uh, um, so what are you going to tell me about the 737? You know, why is it? I guess we'll find out. 
yeah, I just think it's stupid. They're just trying to do PR stuff to clean up their mess. Which but they I, have to do that, right? They have such a negative image right now don't around really this plane. That's the thing. I don't think people really care. People don't know what they're... I'm sure in that. Ethiopia and Indonesia, they will care. Don't you think? No. No. I, no. They never cared before. They won't care again. But they didn't think that they had to care before. But no, but the it's... plane has had this checkered uh, reputation before. Yeah, Remember when the it... 787 had these issues, it really wasn't in service as widely as the MAX. Well, yeah, but still no, but I mean, people get on planes and they have no idea. Even, even with this one, people got on the, the, the MAX and they had no idea they were on the MAX. Yeah. And they're like, oh, but That's okay. exactly how it should be, yeah. at least for Boeing right now. But, but you're telling me that I'm on a MAX isn't going to let me feel more confident. Okay, remember, one thing I should have mentioned also is that this is going to cost an additional, well, it's going to cost 32 million US dollars, yeah. which is really a drop in the bucket compared to the 20 billion that Boeing is shouldering based on the grounding. Yeah, but that million is a waste of money, Kusha. So, well, at least they're doing it. I think it's a good move. I just, I, I don't think it's necessary to do to do that, especially since. It, it, you mean the pilots or the? No, whatever money they're spending to do the okay. PR and stuff like that. I don't think it's. That may it. not be as uh, as expensive, but um, for thirty people on average per global region is really not that much when you think about it, right? Yeah, it's. So I guess they all just want to be seen that they're doing something. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. Stupid. <laughs> that's that's just what I think about. Okay, I can say I'm not going to change yeah. your mind. No, I don't. I. Uh, yeah, no, and only because um, I don't think it is really going to make people fly, fly the airplane. People are just going to book it because because it's cheap, and yeah. um, their schedule fits whatever they're doing. You know, their business, um, and it'll just be another airplane. And it's not like people are gonna. It's not like the airlines are gonna put something a little, a little big asset and say, "Hey, you're flying on a Boeing seven thirty seven Max. Why don't you find out about the Boeing seven thirty seven Max?" They're never gonna do that. It's just gonna say seven three whatever. What's it? Seven seven M seven. Seven M. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. Eight and. Which will look just like a 739. They'll have no, the geeks will know, we will know, yeah. and we will actually go <laughs> go book it to get it. But the average person. So, so that's why I don't think it makes sense. I think they could use the money to do but something. But I think the pilots is a good idea. It's an excellent idea. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. So. Yeah. All right. Enough of Boeing. And not a bad gig, right? For 35 days. Especially yeah. in this era of so many laid-off pilots, yeah, I guess you have to right. have experience on yeah. Boeing aircraft, of course. Yeah, which makes sense. I guess. So, yeah, that part is not a bad deal. Um, but uh, all right, so let's jump to some miscellaneous stuff that we have in the queue. Um, all right, I'm going to jump a little bit since we've been talking about um, Boeing. <laughs> So you have a story that Boeing joins the upcycling trend, as does Delta. This was 
news to me. I had no idea this was happening. Uh-huh. And um, this was in an article in um, a journal called Interesting Engineering that I'd never even heard of. Okay. And uh, this was in the middle of December. And what Boeing is doing um, is they have this um, aviation store in Seattle. And I didn't realize that they have this luxury aviation store currently as well. And what they are doing is following this upcycling trend that Lufthansa and so many other carriers are doing as well. So they are selling furniture from retired plane parts. And the thing about is this is that these are not cheap. Um, from the pictures I've seen, they're a little bit hideous, honestly. And I know a lot of people will contest that. But if you've seen some of the pictures, they are only for aviation geeks. Because the prices of these, uh, the cheapest one is 5,500 US dollars. And what are they selling? And hold on. The most expensive is 19,500 which is an F4 Phantom, which is a McDonnell Douglas plane that has long been retired, but is still flying with Iran and I believe Japan and perhaps a few other countries. Um, and the, the tagline is go from zero to Mark II without leaving your seat. That thing is 19,500. So oh, it so really looks like an, of an ejection seat but it's sort of been prettied up a little bit to fit um, in with, let's say, your design motif in your living room. Oh, the, ga- the gamers will eat that up, Kasha. You think so? Yes. Have you seen these gamers? Have you seen these gaming seats? To afford yeah. 19,000 US dollars on one chair? Kasha, you and I think about money differently. There had a lot of people around there that has all this money sitting around doing, doing so, nothing with. Gaming so, chairs are like, well, they're not too expensive. They're like you know, $500. And... Yeah, but the, the hideous one that I saw was, um, again, that's purely subjective opinion, uh-huh. was a wine bar, which is really a table, a glass top table made from the engine core of a JT8D engine, okay. which that's was the... Um, I think the 737-200 and 100. So it really, really looks like it came straight off an, air, off an aircraft. And that exactly is the look that Boeing is going for. So um, they've also had a lot of tables made out of aircraft fuselages. Yeah. Um, so I guess, I think it's good because it prevents all this from being trashed. Yeah. And then I found out that Delta was doing something similar, not exactly with aircraft parts, but with their uh, uniforms. They've, um, in, they're in collaboration with a company called Looped Works, which is L-O-O-P-T works.com slash Delta. And they're working with old, um, um, aircraft leather seats and uniforms to create backpacks, travel kits, passport covers, bags, and all sorts of other travel paraphernalia. 
And again, I think this is great. It prevents it going into a landfill. And if geeks are willing to buy it, why not? Yeah, um, people do. People do spend quite a bit of money on that, um, so they they won't have any issues. I mean, look at when look at when um, uh, what was it the British Airways did the stuff with the seven seven sevens? Yes. Yeah, people live for this kind of stuff for sure. They'll have no oh. problems. And like um, those seats are like you know fifteen hundred dollars for one of those seats, and people are buying them for those gamers. Twenty thousand, try twenty thousand, almost. Yeah, but, but if you're a geek and you want to make your kid happy, people do it. Obviously, but airline geeks make yeah. that much money. Well, but, 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 we're yeah. supposed to be poor. Uh, the airline geeks that you know are poor. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, you, you need to improve your airline geek uh, and my social standing. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. Yes, Kasha, you need you need to uh, you need to get to the so, That is so funny. Um, hold on. Um, where am I? That's funny. Wait, I lost the window I had. Um. Yeah, no. Like I said, I have a bunch of people who actually have these things in their living room. So you yeah. do know someone? Uh huh. Yeah, we have a mutual friend who who have one. He just he just showed them online. He has a first class seat on one of these airplanes. He, he has a you know the, the really first, yeah. And uh, another one of our mutual friend also has some in, in his. Uh, he had it in his uh, basement when he was living here in Houston. So wow. uh, okay. well, not his basement, but he's downstairs. So yeah, there there are lots of people who have these. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. There's lots of people out there, Kasha. People are odd. <laughs> well, not to themselves, right? Uh, and it's their own money. Yeah. Well, yeah. we I mean, hope. If you can't enjoy your own money, why bother, right? Very so, true. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, so yeah, oh, that's pretty funny. All right. So um, we've been talking about Ayata trying to create a way to make it easier for us to, I guess, um, keep all our health information together. And they're creating something called the Travel Pass. Tell us more about that. This, um, again, I thought was um, a very interesting article off the Ayata website. And what they are doing via um, an Android and an iPhone app is to create a portal to ensure that travel in the post-COVID era is as smooth and streamlined as possible. They are trying to create, as I said, a comprehensive system where everything is stored in one location. Right. Be it the procedures that uh, you are required to conform to when you travel internationally, to storing your passport details for a digital passport, to being a repository for your um, immunizations, your uh, vaccination um, proof, and also as a means to... Um, provide this information to authorities at the airport and okay. also for biometric purposes. Now, a few, 
was it last week that we talked about the Star Alliance uh, bid to do something similar? Yes, we so did. So what was redeeming here is to hear that the IATA app is going to be able to, um, what is the word, uh, to be able to incorporate um, data from other equivalent apps as well. And I'm wondering why, you know, established airline authorities like IATA, for instance, and all the Star Alliance or whoever else, not combine their efforts to create one app. <laughs> but of course, that's... Because they don't want to share the data that way. It's yes. stupid. It's never about us. It's about them, right? Right. So this is, is um, as I said, a very comprehensive app, and it's going to be released in the first quarter of 2021. So it's been developed in um, four independent modules. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the first one is a, um, a register for all the regulatory ent entry requirements and the labs and the test centers. Mm. And this is based on the well-established Dymatic. I think that's the way it's pronounced. Yeah, Timatic. Yeah. Uh, that's been in place for, I believe, decades. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also going to be um, a verified location for storing your certificates based on the yellow fever, which yellow fever certificate, which is, I believe, called the yellow card, which is, it is the yellow card. Yep, I have one of those. Common um, current requirement from mm -hmm. four countries. You can also store your um, COVID vaccination and all testing status in that app. It's going to be a digital ID as well. So it can function as a substitute for your passport if you don't have one. And the ability for passenger to share these test results via your mobile device. What IATA did stress is that everything is going to be stored on your iPhone. There's going to be no central database where any of your data will be located indefinitely. So it is entirely subjective for you to decide what sort of information you're willing to release. Now, given that you're signing up for this, um, I would expect people to realize that they do have to share some of their personal and private information um, if they want to, for instance, enable biometric uh, processing from check-in to boarding of an aircraft. <laughs> so the first thing they, they, they um, summarize this very concisely in six steps. So I'm gonna go through this fairly fast. Okay. You download this free IATA travel plan, travel pass uh, app. You take a selfie with a smartphone. And again, this was news to me that you complete a liveness test. Have you ever heard of this? So to inch a liveness test, this is to ensure that the person who is downloading the app is actually the same person and not okay. someone else. Makes sense. So um, you have to follow instructions from your phone and move your head, close your eyes and uh, things like that in front of the camera to ensure that this is you and not some imposter. Right, right. That who's trying sense. to steal your information. Um, 
Then what you have to do is you have to scan the last two lines on your picture page, um, which is at the bottom of your passport photo page. And then also uh, scan the data chip on your passport as instructed by the phone. This is the part I'm not quite sure about because I'm not sure how scanning the chip will do anything, but clearly IATA knows more than I do. Um, so that constitutes your digital ID together with your selfie. Hmm. Um, then what you do is, well, the app will then verify that the passport holder and the phone owner are the same person and that the passport is untempered. Um, and then your verified digital travel credentials will be stored and um, can be used, as I said, as a biometric aid when you check in at the airport and clear security and board an aircraft. Now, how many airports will be compliant with this requirement is another story. It'll take a while. It'll take a while, but yeah. this is all based on um, September 2020 IATA survey that concluded uh, that 70% of passengers had concerns about handing their travel documents uh, to airline agents, security staff, or government officials. 85% of these same people said touchless procedures would make them feel safer while traveling. And 44% were willing to share their personal data to enable touchless processes, which is significantly up from 30% of passengers who said this in June. So between June and September, there was a 14 percentage point rise in people becoming more comfortable with um, uh, sharing their personal data. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so, and this will also this app will also be able to um, incorporate information from other competing uh, so, uh, products. Yeah, yeah, it'll be and interesting. This has all see. been uh, sorry. I keep interrupting. It's all been worked out with the um, International Civil Aviation Organization as well, the mm -hmm. I ICAO. So these are very, very well-established and very commonly used um, systems in place that will now be summarized in an easy to handle app. Okay, well, that makes sense. I mean- That they foresee as the future of travel, at least in the near to mid future. Yeah, because I, I hate walking around with that, um, that uh, yellow card, which is in tatters right now. Okay. Because the last time I got um, yellow fever was when I went to uh, Ghana. I think it was 2014, maybe. I see. Yeah, so I still have my yellow card inside my passport whenever I travel. Um, so, so which is why when people are making um, such a big deal about, um, you know, all these documentation and stuff, I'm like, we take vaccines today. Mm. So it's, not, it's not a big deal. You but the thing is that these the labs... Um, and the testing centers are all going to have to ensure that their systems are capable of transmitting this information accurately and correctly to these phones and apps, yeah. right? Well, it, it, it never goes, to, it, it'll go up to, uh, it'll go to like a, a central place is where the data will go. No, it will and not. Then, yeah, it, 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 
it, it has that's, that's what IATA is stressing, that there will be no central data repository whatsoever. So it's just going straight. Yeah, but it has to go somewhere. Well, it's going to go straight to your phone, and that will be the only location where it will be stored. Well, that doesn't the make only. any sense, though, because then... So what well, I think it reassures passengers that they do not have any of their information on um, any public domain, for instance. That's stupid. Why? Because, oh, you ever heard of Clear? Yes. <laughs> Clear has all my data on a public server, but well, it's private. But it's on a it's a, it's sitting out there okay. on the server. So it, I mean, every time I go to the airport and and do the scan thing, the Homeland Security has my data out there on a private right. server. Right, but even for global entry, right? We yes. agree to that. We agree yeah. to that. So why can't we do that for the um the 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 travel app? It's because. Remember, the EU has much, much stricter privacy constraints than, let's say, we in the US have. Even though we're pretty strict here, the yeah, EU but, is much stricter. But the EU still, we still have data that's transmitted because we have Nexus. So Nexus is the one in, in Amsterdam. Um, that's the system that's like global entry. Okay, I thought yeah. that was Canada. Um, sorry, but sorry. I could be wrong. It, uh, it, yeah, you're right. Nexus is Canada. Um, it's called. Um, I know what you mean. Pruvium, I think, is what it's Pruvium. called. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah. So yeah. they have that. Um, I'm just trying to think of who else has. There's a there's a lot of those these services that are out there. Okay. With our data kicking around, so I don't understand. Give credit why. to IATA for doing this. I no, mean, no. I think it'll be. A a long while before everything is streamlined. It, but it, it makes, they have to it start makes somewhere. sense. But saying that I'm sending a straight to your phone because you know we don't want to store the data out there, you're already storing my data because all these Well apparently not anymore, data. right? Because yeah, they, and they send my this. data. They send my data every every time I check in, they huh. send my data to another airline. I'm to another government. So I don't really buy what they're trying to say. Maybe maybe they'll explain that more. And I think transmitting it directly to my phone is kind of weird. Why? Well, how do I know it's safe? It's sitting in my phone, but how do I know right. it's safe? Well, isn't that your responsibility? Yeah, but what? And one of the things, excuse me, is that people make such a big deal about this, and every day, like, um, I can use my phone to buy stuff. Right. 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 And the then, thing is that. I'm not worried about that, but I'm worried about my privacy information. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, so what happens if you, remember, all, all your information is here. What happens if you lose your phone overseas? Right, your hose, you can't leave. This is like stupid. <laughs> you get to the airport and go, I'm sorry, I lost my phone. Oh, wait, let me put my biometric in. Oh, there's nothing. I don't know who you are because you don't have my phone in your hand. This is why it doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, hmm. I don't know. Right. And um, very interesting article, though. Yeah, it's a little odd. All right, well, let's uh, let's jump on to the next one. Uh, where are we? I think we have about two more topics, right? Yeah, um, and they're both centered around the UK. Yes. Well, we actually have an extra one. Uh, um, 
So this one was about COVID testing because a lot more airports are getting um, COVID testing done. Yes. Um, and Heathrow is, is the... Uh, it's now what, online as the largest private COVID testing facility uh, in the UK. Um, <clears throat> interesting. They have um, partnered with this company called Express Test. Um, and they have opened um, 24 lanes of uh, testing at, uh, at the N4 car park, which is uh, just off Bath Road, which is parallel to the runways north of uh, London Heathrow Airport. Mm -hmm. It's open 365 days a year from 8 a.m. till, uh, sorry, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, with express test, they have two on-site labs capable of processing 5,000 tests a day with results typically the next day. Uh, and they're initially offering only PCR tests, which are the standard um, and can be used by departing passengers to satisfy travel requirements of their destinations. They're charging 80 pounds for passengers, which is about 110 US dollars, 60 pounds for Heathrow staff, which is about 80 US dollars, and 99 pounds for anyone in the general public, which is about 135 mm. US dollars. Um, all your negative tests will be mailed, uh, as they call it, a fit, a fit to fly certificate that will be authorized by a doctor, but the passengers will be responsible to verify that this is sufficient documentation for their destination requirements and something that will be accepted by travel authorities, which I think is fair. You can book this um, for an appointment at expresstest.co.uk um, and you will be sent a QR code that you have to take along with you together with your passport or any sort of ID. So, um, again, yeah, I thought this was but something it's not worth cheap, mentioning. Right? It's not it's, cheap. It's but not cheap. Is, right? Yeah, it's not, it's not cheap. It's not outrageous I either. I did see... Um, and Pittsburgh has actually started something very similar. Yeah. I've been updating, um, uh, if you go to travel, travelrestrictionsinfo.com, um, mm. I've been adding information about the airports and the airlines and the countries that has COVID information. Mm. And I found out about the testing at, um, at Heathrow. And I believe, is it Gatwick? Yeah, it's currently operating at Edinburgh and Gatwick. Yeah, but nothing as large as this. Yeah, has it as well. So yes. um, it, it makes sense. Um, we are going to just have to test people at the airports. That's yep. just what we're just, just what we're going to have to do. Now, I wonder how do they do they test people if you're in transit, or is it just departing? No. And arriving? Why would it be in transit? You. If you're in transit, you better have done your homework before, right? Yeah, but then you're mixing with all those people, right? So it's it's kind of like I took the I took the thing before, the test before, and I took yeah. it, and now I get to Heathrow, and now I mix with other people who 
Plus, you've exposed yourself on the plane as well, yeah. right? Yeah. So where does it end? Right. So it's kind of... Um... Where does it end? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Uh, yeah, that's kind of funky. Um, all right. So speaking of Heathrow... Um, Oh my goodness. They're doing the third runway? <laughs> well, as of now. This is once again an on-again, off-again project. Yeah. So yeah. it's no secret that Heathrow is really, really capacity constrained. Yep. And they are slowly well, but surely... Was. <laughs> was. But it will be back to the future. It will be. They are losing ground... Uh to um, airports in Europe without capacity constraints like Paris and Amsterdam. Hmm. So what they have wanted to do for the longest time is create a third runway. And this has unleashed a storm among environmentalists um, claiming that it is entirely the wrong thing to do. And long story short, um, after being passed a few years ago, the resolution, it was uh, blocked by the Court of Appeal of the High Court of England and Wales last year um, on environmental grounds. And the government agreed not to contest the decision. Yeah. Heathrow appealed. And on December 16th, the Supreme Court of the UK, which is the highest uh, judicial authority there, they decreed that Heathrow was justified in going ahead with plans for a third runway. It's about time. Right. So now it would allow the airport to seek new planning permissions for um, infrastructure development. Right. Now, the government of Boris Johnson has been... Um, not very supportive because a lot of his constituents live in the Heathrow adjacent areas and that requires uprooting them. But they have vowed not to contest this decision. So this would essentially allow Heathrow to compete against all these other airports in mainland Europe um, and allow 700 additional flights land at Heathrow every day. Hmm. And of course, the environmentalists have de denounced it as reckless, irresponsible, and a betrayal of our children's future. Okay. So, um, I what, what I will tell you. <laughs> they would do that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I was curious about how many passengers um, go through the big European hubs. Heathrow in 2019 led the pack with almost 81 million passengers. Mm -hmm. Paris, uh, uh, De Gaulle was at 76 million. Amsterdam, Schiphol was at 72 million passengers. Frankfurt was almost 71. And then surprisingly, Madrid was next at about 62 million. Okay, so, makes sense. So, so, yeah. so Heathrow is already leading. They don't need a, a new runway then. <laughs> no, they are slipping. <laughs> I, I think Paris and Amsterdam are gaining the most uh, traffic. 
Well, it's so, it's it's because it's London, right? Everybody wants to go to London. I mean, it's yeah. the most popular. But European remember, it's city. not going to be that easy anymore now that the UK is out of the EU, because now travelers to the to UK will be will have to undergo additional testing. They need entry documents and all that that they didn't need before. Yeah, but that's, that's no also going to no. I think it will impact. Travel. Yeah, but. But do you think it's different? Um, because even if, if I'm if I'm just transiting though, um, I don't. I, I I don't know. I mean, it it, it it's kind of like talking about the max, right? Where we say that people know what they're doing. People connect over London because that's what that's what that's where the airline routing is, right? Connecting is an entirely different thing, right? Yeah, but that's but not it, con- that's not really the issue. But even arriving, people go to London right. because they want to go to London, right? Airline right. employees don't go to London because they don't want to pay the departure tax. Right. But that's a very small number of people. Right. Right. Um, right. And it's but it's, it's actually, no longer it's, going to be as easy for Europeans to hop across to the UK. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. You know, when now that the UK is not a part, but I don't think it'll be a big deal. We'll um, find out. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to move all those people in the areas surrounding Heathrow. No, no. Uh, no, that would be a bigger issue because uh, I'm trying to think of where they're going to put that runway. <laughs> it's going to be... Um, it's going uh, to be parallel to the two that's no, there now? No, it's going to be perpendicular. So... Oh, so which means it's going to be uh, right at the end at um... near in near T five. So it's going to be by that lake pond or whatever you call it. Oh, on the other side. Okay. Yes. Yes. Oh, I got you. Okay. So on the west side. Okay. So it, it it won't affect Myrtle Avenue, which is the other side. So it's on the other side. Okay. So which is Myrtle no, it Avenue. be beyond T five. Yeah, Myrtle Avenue is the side where you see what when you when you see the guys show planes landing at Heathrow, um, over coming over the houses. That's okay. No, Avenue. that's that's near the and the that's, direction that's the of the, the BA Engineering. Yeah, that's the what is that the tube station? Uh-huh. Um, I forget. Um, yeah, that's the last station before. Yeah, but um, no, it's on the other side. So it's the side where they have that big lake, like you're saying. Yes. Uh, and it's going to be like Amsterdam. That I think it's called the pole. Is it called the polder barn? You know where you have to go through fields, yeah, yeah. of crops to get to that runway. So it'll be something like that. Oh, okay. So that'll be interesting. That's a yeah. huge project. Good luck. Huge. <laughs> Plus, moving all those people who are going to demand. So Kusha will be dead huge compensation. We'll, we'll, we'll be dead and gone though. before they before they open that runway. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a big environmentalist, but this I do want to see. Uh, yeah, that's going to be that. That's that won't be my lifetime. That's going to take such a long time to get done. Uh, yep. Because they haven't even started yet. They haven't no. bought the land yet. You know, but they've been that's tied up in lawsuits until now. Yeah. So, so, but you know, there's gonna be one guy who doesn't want to sell, and his his house is at the yes. end of the runway. <laughs> Unless the government declares eminent domain, right? Because yeah. they can do that in Europe. I mean, in yeah. the rest of the world, I should say. That'll be interesting. 
<laughs> you're taking off and this one guy's just looking at you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> you know they're going to be more than that, just that one guy. Oh, that would be so funny. There is a runway in, uh, I think it's in, is it in the, somewhere in the Caribbean, it might be Grenada, um, where uh, yeah, like somebody's house is right on the edge of the runway. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I saw somebody talking about it. You can actually go there and hang out and watch planes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, might be, is it, it might be Grenada. It's one of those Caribbean islands. Um, funny. All right, we have one more story. We this do? Is, yeah, this is about the airline mergers. Oh, the, so we the, are inserting that. Yeah, we might as well. So this yeah. is an article that I read on Yahoo. I'm not sure I entirely believe it. Yeah. But um, it was far-fetched, but very far-fetched. It was yeah. interesting. We discussed it. Yeah. Uh, before. And it was written by someone called Brian Sozi, who is um, an editor at large um, of Yahoo, Yahoo Finance and a co-host of Yahoo Finance. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's a TV show, which I didn't know. But he has predicted that although, although no big US carrier is in any imminent danger of going bankrupt, we are likely to see a merger or a group of mergers in 2021 or in the near future. Hmm. One he brought up was United and JetBlue, which again, I'm not sure I'd really buy that given the dramatic differences in culture between the two airlines. Um, And the other one, he said, was uh, between Allegiant, Frontier, and Spirit. Together, they have 3% of the US market share. Uh, But together, as one airline, they could prove formidable. Again, I really don't see that happening, but um, things may change because right now, valuation of airlines is really pretty low. Plus, yeah. Airlines do not have the money for any sort of cash transactions. But then again, if, as they say, CFOs have the guts to do it, this would be the time to go through with it. Yeah, I, I thought it was but, interesting. But, um, but, you know, we've seen other, other crazy things happen, right? So That's true. Yes. Um, yes. When... So, when <laughs> And he also was, thinks that airlines may not have a choice hmm. but to merge. But I don't think JetBlue and United are in that situation yet. Well, the, the United would get a, another uh, hub at JFK and they'd have to figure and out, see, I don't see that figure working out at what all. they're going to do with Newark. And I know right. they'd never leave Newark because they're probably, they're probably getting such a good um, real estate deal in Newark. So right. they're not going anywhere. So, yeah. Um, and people, but we will find out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people, people, and people are now accustomed to going to Newark from Manhattan. It's not a big deal. Right. And it also depends on where these people are traveling, right? Mm-hmm. Because certain, um, I, I guess, ethnicities, they live 
in different parts of New York, right? Well, a lot right. of right. Yeah. That, that, for, that's one reason why TAP Portugal flies only to Newark and not to JFK. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be it'll so, be interesting. I mean, of course, you know, Newark is still gonna is still gonna be there, and um, so even if United merges with uh, JetBlue. Maybe they'll do an airline in an airline. <laughs> what was it called? Dead. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see that happening. No. Um, I think and, people would be very, very upset. And, and JetBlue has spent so much money. Uh, right. Building up in, their own brand identity. In New York. I mean, they've, they've single-handedly made JFK into yeah. someplace that's... A worked. domestic uh, hub. Yeah. Because it, it's it's huge internationally, but wasn't so much domestically. Yeah, definitely. So, well, I mean, I, I guess that would stop United. That would stop JetBlue from doing the international thing, because uh, well, United already has international, and they don't need to do any more international. Um, I don't know if they can do that, but yeah, it'll be it would be it would it would really disrupt everything, and more people would be out of jobs. Um, yeah. Because there is quite a bit of overlap in some of the cities. That Absolutely, there is. Yeah. Um, like LA, and yeah, it would be yeah, it would it would be it would be it would be interesting. But then we get to fly. Yeah. We, we'd get to fly mint for not much money. <laughs> 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 the selfish side comes in. When I read that, though, I didn't realize that uh, the percentage of the spirits allegiant and I know. I thought it was more. I thought it was more. I was like, really? Yeah. That's all? That seemed that's oh. that seemed really tiny. It it doesn't it doesn't seem that way because those airlines are everywhere, right? Right. And they all got Airbus aircraft, which of course doesn't mean much because yeah. most airlines now have Airbus planes. You know, I still haven't flown Spirit or Allegiant. I uh, haven't flown any of those three. Yeah. There's uh, no opportunity to really. Yeah, I, I flew Frontier a long, long time ago. Yeah. I haven't flown them in a while. But anyway, so we will see what happens here. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I'm thinking I should, you know, uh, uh, you can buy two seats on a plane. So I think I should buy, like, a, I'll buy a middle seat and a window seat. Um, and then, um, actually, Kusha, we could go, f- we, we, we could do that. We, you could buy the aisle, I'll buy the window, and then we'll buy the, we'll split the middle. So this way we get a middle seat open. <laughs> and what would I use for money? Dude, dude, you know, see, okay, we need a sponsor. So if anyone's listening, you guys need to sponsor us to go do that and figure figure all that stuff out. <laughs> but anyway, I hope we've stuck to our 45-ish minute deadline. Um, I don't know. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's uh, the the time is showing two hours and nineteen minutes. I think we actually did an hour and twenty minutes <laughs> for this episode. Uh, yeah, no, it's probably, it's probably about thirty. That minutes. would not be good at all. Yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, we haven't gotten any complaints yet about how long the episodes are, and um, people. I think somebody sent some feedback on. Uh, let's see what they said. Um, this was actually quite interesting. Hang on one second, sure, let me find it. You should have probably done this before going live, right? Um, no, 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 because it's related to the episode. 
um, they say that they're inspired by listening to episode 52. Inspired? Really? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's the episode where we're talking about um, Canada not knowing whether they should have Fahrenheit or Celsius. <laughs> we did talk about that. Yeah, we did in that episode. Uh, I don't know how it came up. I haven't gone back and listened, but I, I'm, I'm pretty much sure that's what it was. So he says, um, if we're talking about the weather, temperatures throughout Canada are always presented in Celsius. And appropriately, our purchased uh, in Canada cars display a temperature in Celsius, both external and internal temperatures. Um, not surprisingly, the heating in our homes is in Celsius. That being said, it seems that everyone we know has a stove that is set in Fahrenheit, plus cookbooks here are usually, usually use Fahrenheit. <laughs> but it's also in the UK, right? Because they're metric and they have everything in miles. Right, it's very weird. So packaging for things such as frozen pizza will display instructions in Fahrenheit and Celsius. Our stove and our refrigerator were bought new as part of a matching set. Uh, it, it's frigidaire. The stove is in Fahrenheit, but the fridge is in uh, Celsius. This person is very into this. <laughs> I, know. I also know that... Absolutely nothing to do with aviation. Uh, well, but because we were, we were talking about how um, Canada uses uh, Celsius whenever they feel like, okay. and Fahrenheit whenever they feel like. And so... Um, when he listened to the episode, he's kind of telling us how things are in Canada. And this is why it's so confusing. So then he says, um, I also know that folks here who have heaters for their pools have those things in Fahrenheit. Maybe one day the US will join the rest of the world and Fahrenheit will finally become a thing of the past. <laughs> Not gonna happen. Not in my lifetime. I know, it's funny. Um, oh, and we were talking about meal vouchers. And I think that, that was the episode where we said... Um, uh, oh, yeah. United is going digital. Digital, right? And well, I was saying um, they should make it so that the meal is a part of the bill and they could just order the meal. So he says, um, if an airline puts up a passenger in a hotel, the airline has to issue a meal voucher. If not, the passenger will order a caviar lobster champagne combo and expect the airline to pay for it. <laughs> He's probably right. <laughs> he is probably right about that. But no, um, if you guys have any feedback at all, just send us uh, send us a note. And um, and he also uh, had me realize that I don't have a podcast link from the homepage, and so we're gonna uh, work on work on putting that out there. But uh, okay. so, so I think that was the last story that we had then for sure. Okay. Uh, all right, cool. So you guys know where to find us. We are on Spotify. We are on Google Music, um, Amazon Music, Google Podcast. Um, we're also on, um, uh, what's the other one? Um, Apple. Now, apparently, um, if you don't get ratings on Apple, then nobody knows we exist. Although we have like hundreds and thousands of downloads, but we don't have uh, much of our Apple because I think most of the readers and listeners to this podcast actually download it from the website, which is very cool. Um, so if you're on, um, uh, oh, we're also on Stitcher and Spotify. So if you're on any of these, you can download and uh, listen and let us know what you think. Send us comments via email um, or um, 
there is a email. What's the address? It's uh, feedback at passrider.com or just click on passrider.com and do it from there. And we're at passrider.com slash W-H-I-T. And we're also on Buzzsprout and Kushura thinks that's a funky name. <laughs> but um, this is Kerwin and my buddy. Kushura. And we are signing off from episode 61 on Saturday, January 9th. All right, Thank folks. you for listening. Yep. <laughs>